I really today, I hope this is helpful. Uh, when we get up here to preach, we do it because we hope we help. Um, we don't study scripture uh, and try and uh, pull concepts out of scripture just to have nice sounding sermons or rhyming uh points in our, in our sermons or slick one-liners. We actually, we do it so we hope it helps. And in the preparation of this sermon, uh, it helped me. Uh, it did help me and I pray I can communicate it in a way that helps you. And if I don't, I, I blame my newborn son, basically, at the end of the day. And uh, it is all his fault if my preaching is bad. And uh, it's funny, before, before our baby came, you know, you, a, a, as a couple, you got things, you say, I oh, will never do that. You know, one of the things, I will never use our kid as an excuse. And <laughs> four weeks in, I'm already using him as an excuse for, for messy preaching. But anyway, it's, it's funny because at the end of the day, once the baby's here, you just figure out whatever works, works. And, uh, you know, last week I preached twice and managed to not bring up my son once. Uh, I thought it was well disciplined. I can't promise that today, uh, but it, it's funny actually. The 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 heading into uh, our newborn son coming, there is things in your mind. You're like, man, we'll never do that. And then 3 a.m., we're like, what was it that they said again? <laughs> How do we get this child to sleep? And uh, but it's funny in life. Uh, at the end of the day, when pressure comes on, we do often really just desire to understand what works what works, and we're heading into a new series, this series, and we're really looking at things, answering the question when it comes to the principles of our faith, what works? What, what actually works? In fact, my, my sister, um, when she had her eldest child, my sister out of our family is the more health conscious one, the one who uh, cares a bit more about what her body in, takes in. And so with the raising of her child, especially her first son, she, she cared a lot about the nutrition of her child. And so when it came to her child starting to need to start eating food, she was, she was very conscious and very diligent in making sure that she, she really did a lot of research and put in a lot of effort, all that I won't do. Um, I'm sure my kid will turn out fine. If not, he'll have a great testimony. Uh, but it's done a, one of my fears eh, is as a youth pastor, I sit in a lot of teenagers getting up to share testimonies. One of my fears is that my kid's going to stand up one day and say, well, my dad. <laughs> but anyway, we'll, we'll pray that that's not a reality and uh, just blame it on his mum. No. Um, <laughs> But one of my sisters was really diligent in the preparation of food. In fact, uh, in trying to get my uh, her eldest child to eat, the problem with him is that he had a, he had very selective uh, taste in what he wanted to eat and didn't want to eat. And so she prepared all this food and trying to get him onto uh, onto food. And the fridge was full. And she for for a few weeks was really persisting, and he wouldn't take anything. And then my mum, she was living in Australia at the time. My mother goes over to visit her and uh, sees all the. Pre- Preparation done, sees all the hard work and sees that she's kind of getting to the end of it uh, and just a bit lost. And my mom goes, Why don't we just go to the, because you didn't want to buy the supermarket food, she wanted the healthy stuff. Uh, she goes, Why don't we go to the supermarket and just let's just find what works? <laughs> let's just find something that works. And so they go through the supermarket and they fill up the trolley with all different types of baby food and they're standing at the line. Now, this is on the back of about a month of a lot of work and a mum trying to figure out with her child what to do. And, and is in this space of just, man, I've tried everything and nothing works. I just need to figure out what works. And the lady in front of them in the line turns around and sees the trolley of all these different types of baby food and turns around 
to my sister. I, I don't know why she felt like she had a position to comment in my sister's life, but it's funny when you got a kid, everyone just feels like they got a right to comment. But uh, she turns around and says this comment. She says, you, you know you can make your own. You know you can make your own. So I've, I've tried that. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> but I, I, mom was sharing that with me, and it got me, got me reflecting a little bit, even sometimes. Sometimes I feel like even the way we share our faith and our Christianity, we can be a little bit like that, where people are going through life and really trying to figure out life and, and really trying to do their best of life, and life actually at times gets really a bit tough, and, and then and every now and again, you know you can just pray. It's like, well, I've, I've tried that. It didn't work. You, you, oh, you know, and, and so quick in our humanity, sometimes we can be so quick to draw judgments on people. And in the communication and the outworking of our Christianity, it's so careful that we don't just become those people. Oh, you know what you need to do is just stop sinning. You just need to start, we can be so quick to draw, to draw these lines on what people should and shouldn't be doing. Do you know what would have been more helpful for that lady to do? Is actually turn around and just say, hey, you know what? My child was real picky as well. I found this recipe. It worked really well. Better yet, I'll just go make it for you and then I'll come around and I'll help you with your child. You see, that, that's how we should be communicating our Christianity. Not just saying, this is what you need to be doing and this is what you shouldn't be doing. But Hey, do you know what's worked for me? I, I, I started to understand. I'd heard about prayer my whole life, but then I started to understand prayer. And this is how prayer worked for me. In fact, I know you're going through stuff in life. Hey, why don't I come around and just help you go on a journey of understanding prayer? You know what's worked for me is Scripture, not the kind of Scripture where people just use it to put it on top of me, but understanding the depth and the Word and the love of Jesus. Hey, let me come around and just help you understand Scripture. It's the same thing, but in a very different way. And one works and one doesn't. And even when it comes to our faith, we got to look and go, well, what, actually, what actually works? My, my sister ended up arriving on the fact that porridge and ham sandwiches worked for about five years. <laughs> because it, it worked. It worked. And we got to look at our life and ask some questions through this series. And one of the questions is, what's working for you? What's working for you? But not just what's working for you today. What's working when it comes to building healthy habits in your life? What's working when it comes to building a fulfilling life in, in your world? Because what we're not looking at is just for solutions that work for today. We're looking for solutions that help set up your eternity. Because there's solutions that will work for today but create problems for your tomorrow. And when we look at Scripture, what I've found is some of the solutions or some of the principles might not necessarily change my today, but they've changed my life. Because as I've embraced the principle instead of looked for a quick answer, it's shifted my life. But often what the world will do is try and offer us just solutions to appease 
some of the things in our life for the here and now, but we create bigger problems for, for our, uh, us tomorrow. You know, in moving to Auckland, one of the things you've got to do, there's a few, you know, moving cities, you gotta, there's a few things. You've got to find a doctor. You've got to find a few things. Uh, about 10 years later, you'll find a dentist. And um, some of the more urgent things in life, though, you've got to find a mechanic. Uh, that, that was a big thing for me, finding a good mechanic. And since I've moved into Auckland, I've had a bunch of people actually over the journey call me now and again and go, hey, do you have a good mechanic? And that question is an interesting one because I have a good mechanic, but it depends on what good is to you. Because the idea of, hey, do you have a good mechanic is, what? Well, well, and when you say good, what do you mean? Like, I, I, do you say, do you have a cheap mechanic that will let me get through warrants? Well, I don't have a good mechanic if that's your idea of a good mechanic, because the reality is, is what do you mean when you say, hey, do you have a good mechanic? It's kind of similar uh, to how Jesus catches the rich young ruler off guard in Scripture when he comes up to Jesus and he opens by saying this. He says, hey, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Before Jesus answers the question, there's this weird moment in the Scripture where he turns around and says, good, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And then he goes on to bring about the answer because, because God knew, Jesus knew how he was going to respond. So at the outset, he's pointing out the fact, you call me good. That word good isn't just well-meaning teacher. It isn't just nice teacher. It isn't just good deeds teacher. That word good there means divine teacher. You say I'm a divine teacher. You say I'm of God. You say I am God, but you don't treat me like God. You don't treat me like God. And so you're calling me good, but in the reality is, is you don't truly believe I'm good. And so when, because what he did, he came to Jesus for justification, not correction. He came to Jesus to be justified for where he's at, not to be taught about what he needs to do. A lot of us, the danger is we can fall into that trap as we come to Jesus for our conscious sake instead of come to Jesus for correction, for direction, for inspiration, for challenge. And he turns up under the scene, and at the end of the day, he goes, you call me good, but you essentially says, you know, even for some of us, we call God God, but we don't treat him like God. We don't treat him like God. But at the end of the day, people ask, hey, hey do, you, do you have a good mechanic? The thing about my mechanic, he's a good mechanic, but the problem with him is he doesn't let me just patch up jobs. He'll call me and say, hey, I know you bought it in for this, and there's a whole bunch of other things, and here's the reality. And I say, what's the cheapest possible? He said, well, I'll, I'll let you know what's the safest option. And uh, we have this debate, and, uh, and he wins um, because he studied cars and I didn't. And, uh, <laughs> and at, the, at the end of the day is because sometimes when looking for mechanics, I've found what people are really asking for is, have you got a cheap mechanic? Have you got a get me through this warrant mechanic? Have you got a quick fix mechanic? And sometimes when people even come to faith, they're just looking for the quick fix, the easy, the fast solutions, the, the help appease my pain today, but I don't really want to know the principles that I need to build my life on. I come to Jesus for the quick provision, but I don't want the divine principles. I come to Jesus for the quick healing, but I, I don't want to embrace the habits that enable a lifetime of healing. I, I come to Jesus for quick moments. And in this series, we don't want to just look at what works today. We want to know what, what, what works for your life, what works in building a healthy life, solutions that won't only get you through today, but develop and, and, and but enable bigger problems that you have to face tomorrow, but understanding God has created us to be eternal. 
And actually a lot of his solutions aren't even just for what, what we're facing today. They're to make sure that we outlive the eternal destiny that God has on our life. And like I said, God's, God, what's worked for, in, in God for me hasn't always changed the moment, but it has changed the direction of my life. And we want to look at some of these things and saying, well, in my understanding, as we go through the, the, the series of when it comes to what works, there's some things we're going to be looking at like prayer works. Righteousness works, serving works, daily devotions work, forgiveness works, the word works, marriage works, church works, tithing works, faith works, small groups works, surrender works, confession works, speaking in tongues works. Speaking, these are things that if you would embrace the principle, you would see the fruits of it in your life. You would see the fruit of it in your life. And really today, what I just want to quickly look at this morning with the time we have left is start opening it up at the start by saying, hey, we believe in this. We believe that prayer works. I believe that prayer works. In fact, if I was to ask this room, there would be a, a pretty strong general consensus that prayer works. There's a lot of people in this room that, are, that have been in faith for a long time and have testimonies and stories and answers, not just biblical ideas, but also realities of, of how it's been applied to their life and, and found fruit in the fact that that prayer works. In fact, I would say not only Christians believe that, I've even found in my family, I've got family members that would say they don't believe in God, but when life has so much pressure around it all of a sudden there's the desire to say hey would you pray for me the times when my wife and I've got texts on different family members to say hey I need some prayer right now it amazes me because I thought you didn't believe in prayer but there's something about the the depth of our humanity that knows we're, de we're designed by a divine God that when pressure comes on we're pushed to look in and go actually I don't understand it I don't even believe in it but I do know prayer works Prayer works. So the question I, I, I'm, I'm not really asking is, is you, of you this morning, do you believe prayer works? Because a lot of you in this room would, would say yes. You say yes. In fact, there's people in this room that shouldn't be here today, but prayer worked. There's people here today that couldn't see a way out of a situation, but prayer worked. There's people here today I know of that didn't know how their family was going to come back together, but prayer worked. There's people that I know of in this room today and seen it in my life where I didn't know how I was going to get through that financial situation, but prayer worked. There's guys in this room and she should have never said yes to that date, but prayer worked. <laughs> prayer worked. And the fact you got a second one is a testimony that fasting works as well. It works. It works. So the question isn't so much this morning I want to look at is, is does prayer work? I want to look at, well, how does prayer work? How does prayer work? And does prayer work for me? See, I grew up like, like a bunch in this room around Christian Christianity, around faith, and always believed that prayer worked. But at different times, the revelation of the fact, well, will, will my prayer work? Is another thing to grapple with. There's another level of faith to get your heart behind. I know their prayer works, but I need to have faith that, come on, my prayer works. That my prayer works. Because there's been times where prayer has shifted everything, and there's times where it seemed like prayer shifted nothing. It's times where it seemed like prayer shifted nothing. And so this morning, I just want to quickly look at some reminders about prayer. Some reminders about prayer and asking, asking the question, does prayer work? I'd, I'd ask the other question was, well, then if, if that's the question, well, what does prayer work? I'd ask, well, it depends. What are you expecting from prayer? 
Does it work? Well, it depends what you want from it. Because if I know what you're expecting from prayer, I can tell you if prayer will do that or not. It's like, do you have a good mechanic? Depends what do you expect from the mechanic. When it comes to prayer, does prayer work? I'd ask first of all that you'd look at the question when it comes to your prayer life, when it comes to your prayer theology, what do you believe prayer does in your life? How do you believe prayer works in your world? You know, for some people, their prayer theology is very similar to the, 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 uh, their concept of a genie. <laughs> if I wish, it will come true. I don't wish too often because you've only got so many wishes. It's not, well, the, the reality is, does, does Jesus answer our prayer requests? I, I believe absolutely. Jesus answers our prayer request, but not always in the time and the manner that I want. He's faithful in answering our prayers, but not always in the way I want them to be answered. In fact, in Luke 1, you find the story of uh, the birth of John the Baptist and his father, Zacharias is, is going, he's a priest at the time, and uh, he's going about his daily duties. He's, he's now uh, advanced in his years, uh, and he walks into, the, he, one day it comes upon him, the responsibility to go into the temple and, and, and minister before God, and in, in, in verse 10, it talks about how the whole multitude of people were praying outside the hour of incense, and it talks about then an angel of the Lord appeared to him. And then you jump down into verse 13. This is what the angel of the Lord says. It says, do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife will be a son and his name shall be John. Which is interesting that, that an angel shows up to say, hey, I've heard your prayer and, and, and it's going to come true. Now, now, if I'm in the middle of a prayer time and the angel shows up and says, you know what? I've got it under control. My response is going to be glad. My response is going to be faith-filled. But it's interesting in this moment is what happens is, as you look at Zach, his response, his response isn't that at all. In fact, his response in verse 18 is this, how should I know of this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. His response suggests this, is that it's a prayer he had stopped praying. It's a prayer he had lost faith over. Jesus shows up and says, hey, I'm answering your prayers. Not the prayers, you pray, the prayers you prayed this morning. The prayer you prayed 40 years ago, I'm showing up to answer that one today. I'm showing up to deliver that one today. Because he's like, oh, I've given up on that prayer. And God's saying, yeah, but I haven't. Suggest that God takes our requests more seriously than we do. That God holds on to what we're prepared to let go of at times. That actually when it comes to prayer, I would say God takes your requests more seriously than you think. Then in fact, he just shows up and says, yeah, I know you prayed it 40 years ago, but today I'm delivering the answer. It gives me hope to say that there's some prayers that I've prayed in the morning and seen the answer in the evening. And then there's other prayers I've been praying for the last 16 years of my journey with Jesus. But I know that one day the angel of the Lord will show up and go, hey, I've heard, I've heard you cry. The same thing happens in Exodus. 400 years of slavery. And the angel shows up to Moses and says this. He says, I've surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and I've heard their cries. I've heard their cries. Those cries have been going on for 400 years. Some of those people that would have prayed the original prayers wouldn't even be alive anymore. But God still held to the request. 
God still delivered the answer, not in their lifetime, but their prayer they laid in one generation brought freedom to another generation. There's some prayers that God will answer in a moment, but there's some prayers we're praying as a church today. I'm praying in my life today. I'm praying over my family today. That might not happen in my lifetime, but they'll create a foundation where a generation will be able to take hold of it. Some prayers are answered in a moment. And some prayers are answered in another generation. I, I love the testimony right now of what's happening in youth. And one of the, we're at the moment we're doing uprisings and they actually held in Selwyn College. And over the years, we've seen God do some incredible things in Selwyn College. We've seen some great moves of God in Selwyn College. And I thought it was because we came up with cool games. After a couple of years of seeing God do some pretty cool work in Selwyn College, and now we host our, our big events in Selwyn College where people come, young people come to know Jesus uh, in the hundreds. It's really we found out the fact that living in Timaru is a little old lady that used to pray, pray every day for Selwyn College. That she was a part of Selwyn College, and now she still labors in prayer for Selwyn College, and we turn up with our free pizza and our cool games and think that we did it. No, we're just living out a prayer that someone else laid. I want to say in your prayer life, don't just lay prayers for today. Lay prayers that are going to bring freedom to the next generation. Lay prayers that are going to bring release. But when it comes to prayers, I do believe God does answer requests, but I believe prayer is so much bigger than that. That really what prayer isn't. Prayer isn't your to-do list for God. Sometimes some of our, the way our prayer life gets is it's like we go to work and in the morning we're just letting God know of his to-do list for the day. All right, God, while I'm away, here's your duties. And when I get home, make sure they're done or I'll be angry. <laughs> prayer list isn't a to-do list for God. But when we understand prayer, really at the heart of it is prayer is a conversation with your creator. It's a conversation with your creator. Now, that statement will hit people at different levels depending on the revelation of that. I heard that all my whole life, but until I came to really understand God, the awe of that statement never really gripped me. The more I understand God, the more the awe of that statement gets me. In fact, I have a moment to talk with the Creator. What an awe-inspiring thing. It's not a chance to just go through a religious rhetoric, but it's stopped to have a conversation with the, the Creator of the heavens and the earth that he created a way for us to have a conversation with him. And it's important the longer we go on with Christianity that we don't actually learn, we don't lose the awe of that statement. We don't lose the awe of what prayer is, a moment for you to connect with our heavenly father, what prayer is and what happens in that conversation. I find it's, it's not just any old conversation. It's a conversation that, ra that raises my awareness of God, that develops my awe of him. That helps me understand the authority he holds. It's a, a conversation that enables a heavenly perspective to be shaped. It's a conversation that, that enables the will and the purpose of God to become clear in my life. It's a conversation that enables me to pour the cares, the burdens, and the worries of my heart out to him. It's an it's a, it's a opportunity where I get to pour out the condition of my heart to him. It's a conversation that enables me to strengthen my faith. It's a conversation that enables me to take hold of breakthrough I haven't yet seen. It's a conversation that enables me to take hold of revelation I haven't yet realized. It's a conversation where I get to invite the Holy Spirit to come and move and act upon my life. It's a conversation that deepens the trust I have in my Father. It's a conversation that should change you. I want to ask you the question, is your prayer life changing you? 
Or is your prayer life just about what God needs to change? Because prayer done right, yes, has an invitation for God to bring change, but prayer done right should change you. How much is your prayer life changing you right now? You see, when we teach young people to pray, when we teach your teenagers to pray, we teach them this, the, what, what, what I believe and what it took me a while to understand and the, and, and the way I was brought up in faith. It took me a while to get hold of this revelation and, and at different levels, it keeps getting deeper in my life. But, but prayer is pleasing to God, but prayer doesn't make you more pleasing to God. God desires prayer, but prayer doesn't make you more desirable. That God, you are as desirable as you'll ever be to God through your faith in Jesus Christ. See, the danger in that statement, especially in the young people's understanding, is, is when they're praying a lot, they think they're doing things right, so they think God is close. And so when they're not praying enough, they feel like they've let God down. God desires that you'd pour your heart out to Him, but it doesn't make you more desirable. That's why some people struggle, like who haven't been doing daily devotions. It's interesting. I have this conversation a lot of young adults about, I've just been struggling in my daily verse, like feeling like God's disappointed in you. No, God loves you. Whether you pick out the Bible tomorrow and read it or not, God loves you the same. Daily devotions will make you more aware of God. It doesn't make God more aware of you. It doesn't make God more aware of you. And the problem is so some people carry the shame of having a lack of prayer life that then that shame stops them from actually lifting their prayer life. Because I think my prayer makes me pleasing. No, your, your prayer pleases God, but it doesn't make you pleased. God's pleased with you through your faith in Jesus. And so I can take hold of prayer at any moment. If you've got a crappy prayer life in this room, don't wake up tomorrow morning and go, oh, I'm terrible. God must be annoyed at me. No, God just desires a moment with you. Let his grace draw you closer. Don't let shame push you further. Don't let shame push you further. But the reality is the power of prayer doesn't lie in the words we speak, but the revelation of who they're spoken to. The power of prayer doesn't, rely, doesn't lie in the words we speak, but the revelation of who we've spoken spoken them to. We say this statement a lot, prayer changes things. And I, I wholeheartedly believe in that statement. Get me, hear, me, hear me what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. I believe prayer changes things, but, but only if you understand that statement right. Prayer alone doesn't change anything. Prayer to God changes everything. God changes everything. Prayer is an invitation to allow God to step in and change things. Prayer on its own, the words you say, the religious rhetoric you hold, may or may not change everything depending on on your revelation of who you're praying it to. So prayer in itself is an act that changes. It's God that changes everything. Prayer is the invitation to God to come in. But often sometimes the longer in Christianity and the more routine we get in our disciplines with God, the danger is we end up shifting our faith from the person of Jesus to the words we pray. And I would say be careful that, that you don't let go of the revelation of who you're talking to when you pray in the morning. That the power of prayer isn't in the act of prayer, but the person you're praying to. In fact, in John 5, Jesus kind of is talking to some of the teachers of the law in this moment, and he rebukes them in the statement. He says, you study Scripture dil diligently because you think, you think that in them you have eternal life. But these are the very Scriptures that testify, testify about me, 
yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus is saying, hey, the scripture alone doesn't have power. But scripture that leads you to the revelation of Jesus holds power. Uh, it's words on a book. If it doesn't lead you to the revelation of Jesus. The power of scripture is the revelation you get from it that leads you to Jesus. The same with the power of our prayer isn't in the words. It's in the person we look to. In fact, prayer became more powerful in my life when my words became less Christian and more real. More real. The danger is you do Christianity long enough, you get more slicker in your prayer, and you think because your prayers are slicker that they're more effective. But I've found actually the opposite is probably true. The less real you become with your conversation with God, the less effective it is in changing your heart. Because you learn religious rhetoric, but you lose the heart of the conversation. Prayer has become, in fact, in, in, in Zechariah 7, this is, this is quite a confronting scripture I read a while ago when it came to fasting. And because it confronted me, I don't want to be alone in it. So Zechariah 7 verse 3, this is, this is uh, the people asking of God, should I mourn and fast on the fifth month if I have done for so many years? Then the, the word of the Lord Almighty came uh, and said this, ask all the people of the land, when you fasted and mourned on the fifth and the seventh month, for the past 70 years, was it really for me that you fasted? Like you're saying you're fasting, but, but are you really? I think you're just going hungry. Because you're doing the discipline, but you've lost the heart. You've lost the heart of it all. And what was birthed in revelation for a group of people to be devoted to God over time turned into just religious rhetoric and religious routine that in the fact they were doing the same discipline, but lost the whole heart in it. They lost the whole heart in it. And Jesus said, hey, I don't want you to fast if, if it's not going to change your life. In fact, what Jesus goes on to say, uh, what, uh, what God goes on to say later on is he says, hey, in fact, what I'd rather is that you administer true justice. You'd show mercy and compassion to one another, that you do not oppress the widow or the fatherless or the foreign or the poor, and you do not plot against evil. He said, hey, hey, you've been fasting. You've been doing the, you've been in the church thing for a while now, but it isn't changing the way you live. It's not changing the way you act. You're doing the disciplines, but it's not having a change in you. I don't want you to just go through the disciplines. I want to have an impact and a change, and I want to be involved. And if you're going to just do a religious rhetoric, but still treat people that way, judge people that way, think that way, what's the point in doing this? What I want you to do is allow me, me into the conversation allow me into the discipline allow me into your heart so I can I can come and I can affect change and I, I want to say, I'll just say this and this is one thing I've had to be careful of in my life just because we're a contemporary church in our style doesn't mean doesn't mean we can't be religious in our spirit just because we're contemporary in our expression doesn't mean we're avoid of being religious in our spirit and we got to be careful. I want to say that this morning, really, what, what I want to ask you today is not, not how's your prayer life, but how's your conversation with God? How's your conversation with God? Not just what are you praying for? What are you believing for change? How's God changing you? 
How's prayer changing you? Just to finish off, I want to look at a passage found in Luke 7. I like this passage. The passage taught, taught me a lot, but I, I like this passage in, in Luke 7. And for the sake of time, I'll just quickly read through some of this. But in Luke 7, you find the story in the opening of, this, of the chapter of the centurion who's a Roman officer. He would have 100 soldiers under him. So he's a man of influence in the Roman Empire, ruling in a Jewish province. So he's, he's a man of influence, a man of stature. And uh, in, in verse 2, it talks about how the centurion's servant, who his master highly valued, was sick and was about to die. So the centurion heard of Jesus and sent some of the elders of the Jews to him, asking if he would come and heal his servant. Now, before we read the rest of this, you've got to understand a couple of things. That opening, that opening scripture there gives us a lot of context about this guy. First of all, it says the centurion's servant who was, who was concerned about his servant. Really what they're saying and, and what you can draw from that is he is an influential man, but he is a good man. He cares about his servant. A lot of people would have just gone and got another servant. But here's a man, he's good. He's got a good heart. He is well-meaning, but he is a Roman. And, and Jews are God's people. So who am I to go to Jesus. So what does he do? He turns to the elders. Because in his, in his understanding, he goes, well, well, if anyone's going to have favor with Jesus, surely it would be the Jewish elders. I don't think Jesus would respond to me. But maybe Jesus will answer their prayers. I don't think I can ask Jesus, but if I get them to ask Jesus, perhaps God might respond. He's a good leader. He would have understood the, gentle, the, the, the Jewish faith. And he sends them. In verse 4, it says this. They came to Jesus and they pleaded with him earnestly. It says this. The man, this is what they say. The man deserves to have you do this. Because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. And in verse 6, it says, so Jesus went with them. Why Jesus went with them and why they thought Jesus went with them were totally different things. They pleaded, this man is a good man. He's done right by our people. So he deserves God to answer his prayers. There's other people that they, would have, they, they got angry about Jesus answering prayers for, but they said, no, but this is a good man. So Jesus came, but Jesus didn't go because the man was deserving. Jesus went because he desired to. He desired to help. He desires to heal. He desires to get involved. But the pleading on the fact that if I'm deserving enough, then perhaps God will answer me. If I show up every Sunday, perhaps God might show up. And we still hold this works-based attitude in some ways towards how God responds to us. And he comes to this moment where he sends the elders, but because he thinks, well, perhaps the leaders, the leaders might have more favor. But then, then in verse 6, if we pick it back up, it says, and Jesus went with them. And it says this, when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent his friends. He sent his friends. It's interesting, he would have got news that Jesus responded and was going to come. And the closer Jesus got, the more personal this guy became. Initially, he started by embracing a religious discipline. I understand Jewish culture, so I'm going to buy into Jewish customs. The closer Jesus got to him, the less, he, the less he cared about the customs. And the more personal the story becomes. 
So he sent his friends to say this, Lord, don't trouble yourself. I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That's why I didn't come to you myself. I didn't consider myself worthy. But say the word and your servant will be healed. For I'm a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go and he goes. And this one, come and he comes. I say to this servant, do this. And he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed, turning to the crowd, following him. He said, I tell you, I have, I have not found such great faith in all of Israel. But then, then the man who heard, the, the man who had been sent returned to the house and found that the servant was sick. It's amazing. Jesus turns around and says, I haven't found this faith before. He had met John the Baptist, met all the disciples, but in a Gentile Roman officer, he found great faith. Because you got a man who just put aside all the religious customs and got a revelation of who Jesus is. He got a revelation. See, when it comes to our prayer life, I want to say this is first of all prayer. Prayer for prayer to work in your life, I found it needs to come from a place of revelation. Come from a place of revelation. That I don't just send religious rhetoric up to the universe and hope for good vibes. But I got a revelation that when I stop and I say a prayer, I'm speaking to the creator of the heavens and the earth. And it's that revelation that actually brought him to a place of humility. His revelation of the authority of Jesus brought him to a place of humility. And it's in that place of humility he became personal and poured out his heart. And that's what God responded to. Yeah, Jesus was going to respond, but he tapped into something of Jesus no one else had tapped into. Not because his prayers got slicker or his, his disciplines got better, because his heart got more engaged in it. His heart and his faith got behind what it is he was saying. The next I'd say, let your prayers remain personal. Let your prayers remain personal. In my whole life, I've been taught all sorts of different prayer patterns. You should pray this way and that way and this way. What worked for me is when I figured out my personal way. I'm all for teaching disciplines. It's been good. When we, when, like I said, when we, you get so much advice when you get a new baby. In the first two days, we're just bombarded by different midwives at the, at the, at the hospital on, on how to feed a baby. And at the end of the day, Lily just goes, well, I'm just going to do the one that works. And it's the same with prayer. All the advice was good, but there's one that really will work and be personal and be engaging with you. Don't just do what you think you should do. Do what you feel and God is right with your relationship with God. Find a way to engage with Jesus. Walking around the park doesn't work for me. I get distracted by all the things. I talk I hear about people going for prayer walks. I end up at the dairy. <laughs> don't work for me. I had to find what worked for me. And it became personal. Let prayer remain personal. I want to say this, being around God isn't the same as being alone with God. And this corporate gathering shouldn't be a substitute for a personal devotion. I believe what we do here corporately should add to what you do privately. But I also believe what you do privately should add to what we do here corporately. If private worship is alive in the hearts of the people in this room, our corporate gatherings will, will unlock something in heaven. Last, last things is I, I believe if you look at this, 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 this moment with Jesus, I would say this, pray according to God's authority. Pray according to God's authority. Who God is. Understand, let your prayer life, don't bring your prayer life down to your position. 
Allow your prayer to lift you to God's perspective. Allow your prayer life to lift you. Yeah, pour your feelings out, but don't let your feelings be the, be, be, be the guider of your faith. Let your prayer help bring alignment to your feelings. Pray not based on how good you are. Pray on, pray on the, the authority of who, what Jesus has taken hold of. And lastly, I'd say let, your, let it be a conversation that brings change. Don't let it be a rhetoric, a discipline that just gets you and appeases your conscience and, and it enables you, oh, I did the Christian thing, I had a good prayer this morning. No, let it remain a conversation that brings change to the world, but more importantly, brings change to your heart. Because I believe if God can change us, He will continue to change our world. And sometimes we're asking God, God, would you change the world? And He'd say, if you just let me change you, perhaps we could see God do something great in this world. Don't let prayer just become become a to-do list, a religious rhetoric, a thing you have to do, a thing you should do. Let it be personal. Let it acknowledge the authority of Jesus, but let it connect with your heart. Let God speak back to you. Let God speak to you and lay your requests at His feet and wait expectantly for God to answer in the time and the manner and the way He knows He should. He should.